0: Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Find out about new shows, featured guests, and what's up this week. Find us on Facebook by searching keyword Voice America.
1: Good afternoon and welcome to One Hour at a Time. Recovery begins with education, and host Mary Woods is here to educate individuals and families and provide support through the recovery process. Now, here's your host, Mary Woods.
2: Good afternoon, everyone. This is Mary Woods, and um, hope you're having a wonderful June afternoon. We have a great show lined up for you all today. Um, we're going to be talking about the benefits of music therapy in treating addictions and addictive disorders. And our guest today is Dr. Kathleen Murphy. Um, Dr. Murphy received her doctorate in music therapy from Temple University. She has been working as a musical therapist for over 25 years Dr. Murphy has worked in medical, mental health, and educational settings with both children and adults. She has created musical therapy programs in nursing homes, hospitals, and schools. Dr. Murphy is the Director of Wellness and Complementary Therapies at Seabrook House a residential treatment facility for adults diagnosed with substance use disorders. She provides group and individual music therapy sessions in the short-term residential program and the Women's Extended Care Program. She has developed music and imagery-based sleep hygiene protocol for use by individuals in recovery who are experiencing sleep difficulties. She has also developed a stress management program based on the principles of Alcoholics Anonymous and Narcotics Anonymous. Dr. Murphy also serves on the Board of Directors of the American Music, Music Therapy Association. Thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Murphy. You're welcome. Um, First of all, could you explain to us what exactly is music therapy? Uh,
3: Yes. Uh, In addition to being America's best-kept secret, music therapy is a health profession similar to um, other health professions, occupational therapy, physical therapy, speech therapy, counseling, psychology. Um, And music therapists, engage uh, those that we work with in music experiences to help address um, physical, mental, emotional, or spiritual needs or or problems or, or issues. Uh, we also work on quality of life. Um, music therapists work womb to tomb. So you'll see music therapists perhaps working in your neonative intensive care units where research shows that babies who receive... Um, who work with music therapists tend to be discharged two to ten days earlier than babies who don't. All the way to the other end of spectrum, music therapists work at an end-of-life care um, with those who are uh, actively dying. and we work everywhere in between. We got our roots in uh, the VA hospitals, right after the, the world wars, where physicians started to notice that uh, patients who were withdrawn uh started to come alive when uh the the musicians would come onto the unit and uh people started noticing that people's mood would change and the, the uh veterans would be more interactive and so from our humble beginnings in the veterans administrations we're now about 5000 strong and we work in uh healthcare and educational settings uh, across the United States and there's also a large international community of music therapists as well
2: um, how would you define music therapy, per se? Is it um, listening to music? Is it playing music?
3: All of the above. So when anybody in general engages in music, you, we do it in one of four ways. We might um, listen to, a, to the radio or to something live. We might uh, write a song, so doing some composition. We we might uh, perform in a choir or in a band um, using pre-composed music, or people might improvise. So the same ways in which um, the general public uses music for recreation, music therapists use music experiences, those same music experiences, the difference being that it's goal-directed. So we uh, come up with music experiences to address specific uh, goals. We come up with, as other healthcare professionals, we have a treatment plan that we usually follow that's based on some type of an assessment. And um, we look at patients' uh, music preferences sometimes, although sometimes we might choose music that's not preferred for for various reasons. Um, And then, you know, design uh, whatever music experience we think is going to help a person address you know,
2: whatever the goal is that we're working on. Well, you know, it's really interesting because when we think about music, you know, we think about how um, we use music in marketing and how we use it subliminal. I can never say that. But um, like, you know, the quote-unquote elevator music that's supposed to be soothing on your way, you know, up to a stressful meeting, or we have music that we use in gyms to help motivate people to run faster or longer, and we really use, as a society, music in a, a lot of different ways. Mm-hmm.
3: That's true. That's, that's true. Now, interestingly, um, the the elevator music, a lot of people don't necessarily find stress reducing, and that goes to the whole idea of, of preference. So music that I might like that might relax me um, might drive somebody else crazy. And so a very important piece of work that music therapists do is to try to determine what type of music is going to be most effective for those individuals that we're working with.
2: And how do you do that? Do you do it by brain imaging, or how do you do that? Uh,
3: mostly by self-report. So we'll uh, we'll talk to the folks that we work with. We'll ask them what type of music they typically listen to. We ask them if there's something that they absolutely don't like. Um, We know, and again, it depends on what the purpose of the music experience is. So, you know, if I'm working with somebody um, trying to come up with some music for, let's say, pain management, I'm going to want to try to find some music that's going to bring about a physiological response because we know the more relaxed the body is, the less pain people are going to perceive. But also, and then music that's going to distract somebody from their pain so it might not necessarily be the typical, uh, quiet instrumental music. Because it, uh, if someone's listening to something that's really quiet, it might relax them, but they might keep focused on their pain. So maybe they need to listen to songs that are a little more upbeat or that have some kind of a positive message. Whereas if I'm doing some music for stress reduction, you know, then I'm going to want to try to find music that's going to keep people Sort of uh, to help them to get relaxed, and you just kind of focused on being relaxed or maybe uh, transporting them to like uh, an image of a favorite place or, you know, the beach or the waterfall or something like that. So um, the music that we use, a lot of it, it has to do with preference, but it also has to do with the purpose.
2: Um, we, so, do we, in music therapy, do you just use music or do you? Do you do sounds as well? Like I'm thinking about those tapes that have waterfalls or the ocean. Um,
3: Sometimes a music therapist might choose to enhance the music with sounds, or sometimes uh, patients might actually use the instrument to create some of those nature sounds. But uh, music therapists typically, you know, we don't use a lot of pre-programmed, uh... kind of music so like you wouldn't see a music therapist going into the bookstore and saying oh this is a relaxation cd i need to bring this in uh... in fact i've worked with a lot of people whose doctors have recommended that they go to the bookstore and buy a relaxation cd and it didn't work for them and so when they were referred when they were in the hospital when they were referred to myself as a music therapist they were quite skeptical because they had already tried some music that didn't work for them so uh... It's really very, very individualized what music therapists do. We understand the properties of music, and so again, if someone's trying to um, be distracted from pain, we might again find some music that's a little more upbeat that people can relax to that are going to going to draw somebody's focus away from the pain. Whereas if we're picking uh, music for people to just playing relaxed to, we might pick music that has a nice melody, that doesn't have an emotional attachment, um, that people can kind of relax to and maybe, you know, image themselves in a peaceful place. Now, some of that might have a nature sound behind it, or it might not, but again, it really depends on the
2: individual person. And is music therapy something that you have to, do you have so many sessions of it, or is, it, is, is there one session, do you, do you find a benefit? Is it cumulative? Yeah, that's a very, very
3: interesting question. Um, When I went to school, short-term music therapy was like people were hospitalized for a year, so you just saw everybody a lot. Now with managed care and shortened lengths of stay, um, music therapists like all the other healthcare professionals are having to learn how to work with people in single sessions. And so, yes, music therapy can be effective in a single session. It depends on what the purpose is. Um, and it can be effective over the long term.
2: Um, have you had experience working with people who are, um, like may experience, uh, mania or, um, psychosis? And is, is music therapy something that is helpful?
3: Uh, yes. When I worked, um, in a psychiatric facility, we had folks with all types of, um, psychiatric diagnoses, and um, there are many, many famous musicians who also have um, a bipolar diagnosis, so sometimes they might move into that manic phase. When people are engaged in music, it keeps people in the here and now. So if I'm in the here and now as I'm singing a song or I'm, you know, participating in a, a music experience, and I'm playing some type of a rhythm instrument, it's going. I, I'm not going to be as likely to be responding to internal stimuli. So, for the so music therapy can ca- help people help keep people focused in the here and now. Now, there are times when music therapy can be contraindicated because some music experiences can put people into an altered state. And so, if somebody's you know experiencing a psychotic episode the last thing you want to do is you know put them in an altered state where they're uh it would be even harder for them to stay focused on reality so if we're working with somebody who um is psychotic or responding to external stimuli the music experiences are going to be much uh, are going to be live and um, participatory, so people are actually participating in the music-making. They're not going to be kind of, you know, sitting back and listening to this piece of music and, you know, tell me what images are coming forth. Um, so it really, again, everything that we do is based on the needs of the patients and, and knowing how to use music safely. We might not use a drum circle um, or a drumming experience with somebody who's actively psychotic, because, again, that can pull somebody out of reality into a more altered state, and that could be very dangerous for somebody who's having a a psychotic episode. So, again, we might be singing familiar songs, uh, doing some movement to music, uh, again, to keep the focus in the here and now.
2: Um, way back in the day when I uh, did my nurse's training, um, one of the things that they were doing in an outpatient, in the Elmira psychiatric uh, facility, which was an outpatient facility, was movement therapy and dance therapy. Mm-hmm. And there was a lot of music that was being played. And um, it was very upbeat and, and people left feeling, I think, um, they, they were smiling when they left, they they were feeling um good about what they they'd experienced and we got away from it. Do you have any idea why we got away from from this type of uh um quote unquote alternative therapy?"
3: Um, well, I think there are a couple reasons. One, um dance movement therapy, which is kind of what you're talking about, has a much smaller research base than music therapy. And so Part of that issue has to do with uh, this move towards evidence-based practice and we need to have a much bigger research base. Uh-huh. The second issue has to do with insurance and, and reimbursement. And right now, uh, music therapy is not universally a reimbursable Discipline. So, facilities have to find a way to pay for it out of their day rate. They don't get any extra money because they're, you know, offering music therapy. So, I, I think those are a couple of the reasons. And again, as I said at the beginning, we're still America's best kept secret. So, I, I think that a lot of people don't understand the benefits of music to health care. And so, as consumers, they don't demand that those services
2: are provided. Okay. And we'll be right back after this commercial with Dr. Murphy. If you have any questions about music therapy, give us a call.
1: You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness.
4: Step into the doorway to conscious choice, greater health and well-being. Attain the balance that you've been seeking. For more about this, please tune in to Awakening Value, shamanic technologies of consciousness and success with host Marty Spiegelman. Awakening Value is live every Thursday at noon Pacific time, 3 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel.
0: common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's Westbridge.org, family Center recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders.
1: A fresh look at today's health, Voice America Health and Wellness.
2: Um, about the benefits of music therapy in treating addictions. And our guest is Dr. Kathleen Murphy, who is the Director of Wellness and Complementary Therapies at Seabrook House, a residential treatment facility for adults diagnosed with substance use disorders located in the great state of New Jersey. Um, Before going to break, um, Dr. Murphy was sharing with us a little bit about what music therapy is and um, the benefits of it, and just as we were going to break, um, you had talked about how dance and movement therapy didn't have a broad evidence base. What is the evidence base for music therapy?
3: Our um, evidence is growing as you know we become more sophisticated as a profession, and so uh, we have had our research evaluated in in several areas, uh, autism. Depression, uh, rehabil- physical rehabilitation uh, through the Cochrane Collaborative, which is a, a big research group out of England that kind of evaluates research and um, makes some recommendations for music therapy and or whatever uh, therapy is being being evaluated. So we have a pretty solid research base in autism, in physical rehabilitation in uh, schizophrenia and depression. The studies, there's only a couple of them, but they were done really well and had positive, positive results. So um, we have we have that, that research there. We also have uh, some other studies that have showed, again, as I said at the beginning, the efficacy of music therapy uh, in the NICU for, for babies, uh, so they can go home sooner, which is a huge cost savings for children with autism, developing communication skills and motor skills and social interaction skills, for uh, folks with Alzheimer's in slowing cognitive de- decline, decreasing agitation, improving mood and quality of life, and, uh, you know, in hospice for, again, improving quality of life and decreasing pain and anxiety. In addictions, we have a very small research base, and, and what that is pointing to is that music therapy interventions are uh, particularly useful in decreasing uh, stress and anxiety as well as uh, helping folks to sort of connect with their emotions. So some emotional regulation, you know, when people are using, uh, they numb their emotions and so they're not, sometimes they can't even name their emotions, like people don't even know what they're feeling. And so by participating in music, they kind of get re- reconnected with their emotional self. And we're continuing, as music therapists, we're continuing to do more research, uh, more collaborative research with other disciplines. And uh, hopefully that's going to be able to, one of the ways that we'll be able to increase access for uh, folks who would want to um you know, receive music therapy services.
2: Um, What are the credentials for becoming a music therapist? If somebody wanted to have music therapy, how would they know the the right people to go to?
3: Well, what they want to make sure is that their music therapist holds the Music Therapist Board Certified, or MT-BC, credential. That means that the music therapist has, at the minimum, a bachelor's degree in music therapy, has completed 200 hours of preclinical work, a 1,000-hour clinical internship, and passed the board certification exam. And once that credential is awarded, music therapists recertify every five years by completing 100 hours of continuing Education, so that keeps us up and current with new developments in the field, new ways to use music, uh, you know, information on population. So just like any other healthcare professional, you want to make sure that your uh, music therapist has the appropriate credential, which is the MTBC, and know that if they have that, that they're continuing their education and staying current in the field. To find. Um, a board-certified music therapist in your area, you can uh, go on to the certification board for music therapy, uh, www.cbmt.org, and there you can uh, you know, get a listing of um, board-certified music therapists in your area.
2: You know, when we think about um, some of the things that you were were just talking about twice, you've said that uh, music therapists are the best-kept secret in America. Mm Can um, you elaborate on that? A lot of people don't know that music therapy exists. So,
3: um, you know, I'll be out and about and I'll be traveling and somebody will ask me what I do and I say, oh, I'm a music therapist. And they're like, you're a what? (laughs) You know, what is that? So a lot of people don't really know that we exist and um and i think part of that you know has to do with um our research base being so small and now that you know we're we're getting more well known our research is increasing and I'm not sure why we haven't had such a pu- a public voice as say, physical therapy or occupational therapy, kind of all of which started around the same time music therapy did. I think the other thing is is that you know music is everywhere. I mean people have access to music, and now with the internet, I mean you can just get all kinds of music. and so because it's just like part of our of our culture. and th- the other thing is I think that a lot of um, medical professionals, if somebody comes in, say um, and they break their hip, you know the first line is we're going to get you know we're going to do the hip replacement surgery and then there's going to be medication for pain and then there's going to be occupational therapy and physical therapy, and so the medical professionals don't necessarily know how music therapy could be um, could complement what was going on, and maybe you know if the music therapist came in, somebody might need a little bit less pain medication uh because music can help to ameliorate that pain. Maybe if they if music therapists and physical therapists when they work together, the music can be motivating so that the patient might be able to and this has actually been shown in, in some research studies, participate in their physical therapy or their occupational therapy longer without getting fatigued or complaining about pain. So I, I think it's a lot the the healthcare professionals that we collaborate with, once they know about us and we figure out how we can all work together, um, then the word sort of gets out, and I, and I think the word is spreading. And I think again, the other issue just has to do with um, we're not reimbursable in all settings at all times, and so that that's another issue.
2: That's certainly a limiting factor for a number of people. Yes. Yeah. You know, um we know that I mean music is part of most of our lives, and there's a lot of good qualities to music, but there's also a lot of not so good qualities to music. I can remember taking a course about in lyrics i it was a it was a feminist it was a woman's feminist course, and it was a literature course and and they had us go back and look at at uh, lyrics and how a lot of lyrics are um like if you think about under my thumb by the rolling stones if, mm-hmm. you, if you think about those lyrics it's really degrading to women and but but those lyrics get in our head and you know and and i we could probably list about 18 other songs like that where um you know it's the the some of the rap music that's out now where the lyrics are so um violent towards women and um and, you know, music can also have a negative effect on us as well.
3: Right. And I talked to a lot about that with the folks I work with here at Seabrook House. I talked about music being a relapse trigger. And um, it, it is for, for th- three very important reasons. The first is, is that music attaches to memories. So uh, you may remember that, JFK was assassinated back in the early 1960s, and I was going to marry JFK. I was in love with this man. So I watched his funeral, and the piece of music that was played for his funeral was Samuel Barber's Adagio for Strings. Every time I hear that piece of music, I have that memory of being in the living room as a really little girl watching the funeral procession. Uh, And that was a really long time ago. So music attaches to memories, be them positive, be they negative, or whatever. So that's one problem. And so for somebody who's in recovery, to hear a song that they used to use to can trigger a craving. To hear a song that they used to listen to when they were driving to with their dealer can trigger a craving. So that's the first thing. The second thing is music... um when it attaches to those memories, sometimes can attach to the positive memories that might be associated with use. So when somebody was first starting to drink or drug, it might not have been so bad, and so they remember all those party songs, um, like a Jimmy Buffett song might come on, and they remember just all the fun that they had associated with their drug use, and then they forget about all the negative consequences. And so that sense of euphoric recall can be recreated. And then the third thing is is that music affects our emotions. And so you can listen to some music and it can really pull you down into a very negative place. And if you don't have the the tools to cope with that, you might think that the only option you have is to pick up a drink or a drug or to do some other unhealthy behavior. So those and in those ways that music can be uh problematic for people in recovery can also be problematic for just, you know, individuals. So, you know, you can listen to a piece of music and it can bring up a very sad memory or an uncomfortable memory, which can give you an opportunity to do some work with that memory or explore it, or it can cause you people to shut down or to pull away or to not necessarily cope in a healthy way. And as far as the lyrics and the negative messages, uh, I agree that that's a, a huge problem, And interesting, when I worked with adolescents, I would often ask them to tell me what the songs they were listening to were about or what the words said. And most of the times they couldn't tell me. They didn't know what the words were. So I'm not sure if um, any of that negativity really got sort of came to the focus or if they were just really concentrating on the beat or whatever. But I think the the negative lyrics subjectively, I, I think, can be problematic but the research hasn't borne that out yet.
2: And we'll be right back with Dr. Murphy after this commercial to talk about music therapy and addictions.
1: You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness.
4: Listen to the Stars of PR with Cindy R. every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time here on News Talk Radio, voiceamerica.com. Your
1: life, your health, your network. This is Voice America Health and Wellness
2: Show is about the benefits of music therapy in treating addictions, and our guest is Dr. Kathleen Murphy, who is the director of wellness and complementary therapies at Seabrook House, a residential treatment facility for adults diagnosed with substance use disorders in New Jersey. Um, we were talking about before we went to break about how music can be um, can maybe trigger a relapse, and I'm just wondering. Um, I know that's something that we kind of think about secondarily to someone if if we see you know sometimes you'll hear you'll see people listening to really aggressive music and then their mood becomes aggressive or um, you know people will I can remember being um, working in a residential treatment program and people this one person was listening to Pink Floyd and he really started to reminisce about his drug use and the, and all the war stories start and and I've noticed that that um with with certain people, certain music, it just takes them right back to to when they were using and you know your um the other side that I never really thought about was that early on when people are using alcohol and other drugs and they listen to music, that music gets tied with a pleasant memory of that use. So um You know, oftentimes people relapse without thinking, but what they're not aware of is that there are all these cues and triggers that um, they've probably been experiencing and don't even realize it. That's true.
3: Um, A colleague of mine in Iran actually interviewed several uh, of the patients in the therapeutic community she worked in who had relapsed, and many of them attributed music to their relapse, either – it brought them down, so far down that they just felt they couldn't do anything else but pick up. Or it brought up memories and it brought up the war stories, and then that led them to pick up. So there is, I don't want to say it's, you know, like dangerous, like, but there there is, it, it can be problematic. And, you know, people work so hard for their recovery, um, you know, to have something as simple as a song to be, to initiate that beginning of relapse because we all know that relapse begins way before somebody picks up their first drink or drug again. Uh, you know, I think it's important. So again, the folks that I work with, I really try to educate them and I tell them, you know, put your playlist away, find new music, find music that's upbeat and positive and, and motivating that's going to kind of keep you on the right track. So that obsessive thought in your head then becomes an obsessive lyric in your head, perhaps, or a song in your head that's going through your head that's going to be positive and motivating. The other thing I want to say about iPods in in particular, or MP3 players, is that when people listen to music on those devices, it can be a way to isolate. And we know that addiction is a disease of isolation as it progresses. So um, again, going into your room, shutting the door, putting your iPod in, you're just kind of closing everybody out and you know a lot of times in when those feelings then come up there's not anybody there you can reach out to and it might not dawn on you to say oh i should call my sponsor right now so you know the the whole you know listening to music on the ipods and the mp3 plays is really a way to self-isolate for some people at times and i think that needs to be addressed also or at least brought oh. to people's attention
2: Right, and I think that you know um in listening to this, I think it's really important for all of us to be aware that if we're working with folks who their iPod is an appendage of their ear, we really need to understand how how much they're utilizing music to either um, to either escape what they're feeling or to kind of submerge what they're feeling or to make uh quote unquote cope with what they're feeling, so we we need to be aware as clinicians which music is triggering. What feelings and then trying to help them become aware so they can develop a new playlist mm-hmm. or or to ask them to put their iPod away for a year right um, or at least erase it and start with new um
3: yeah, to start with new music, but also right. to be aware of how they're listening to their iPod. Like, it's one thing to go to the gym and have your iPod in with some music that you can exercise to. It's another thing to be, you know, sitting at home in a dark room with your iPod in and be isolating. So, you know, again, to become more aware uh, of how you're using music. And I think that's true, like, for everybody just in general. Uh You know, again, the portable electronic. Music players make it really easy to listen to whatever it is that you like whenever you want it. But, again, it's just also a way to isolate, and then music doesn't become a shared experience. It just becomes an experience with yourself and, you
2: know, your little device. Right, right. And and for centuries, music was a shared experience. It was. We've really it, taken the whole um, concept of listening to music and completely reinvented it. Mm-hmm. Um. Because we've been talking about the benefits of music therapy and treating addictions, can you share with us maybe a couple of examples of, of how you use music therapy in treating addictions?
3: Sure. I uh, work on the short-term residential program here, and so all my music therapy experiences are centered around concepts um, of the first step, unmanageability, powerlessness, letting go, um, also around or um, around uh, managing stress and anxiety um, without having to use a pharmacological agent, and of course, sleep because sleep is the one uh, withdrawal symptom that 's common across all classes of drugs so in uh, the the group settings that I work with, I usually uh, again, because I only see everybody once, it's not time for a big formal assessment. So I check in with the, the therapist, and I kind of find out where the group is at, what they've been talking about. And then, based on that, um, come up with one or two or three possible music experiences. And then when I meet with the group, I have everybody check in to see how they're doing physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, because we know addiction is a disease that affects the body, mind, and spirit. Interestingly enough, music affects the body, mind, and spirit. So it's my job to sort of figure out which one of those three areas we're going to focus on in any given session. And one of the common uh, difficulties that uh, most people struggle with is this whole notion of sort of surrendering and letting go. Because in our culture... To surrender doesn't necessarily have a a positive connotation. You know, it's about giving up. And if I have a group of men, it's like, well, you know, I'm the provider. I take care of everything. I should be able to take this. What do you mean I have to surrender? What do you mean I have to give up? We've had veterans come through here, and to say the word surrender has just been very difficult because that's not a concept that's uh accepted in the military, you sort of fight till the death. And then with women to say, I'm going to surrender and I'm going to give up, well, in this country, women, we've just sort of gotten our voice, so to speak. And so it, it's a very difficult concept. And so one of the things that we might do to address this is we might do um, a music listening experience. Um, and I tend to use for this one, I use Sarah McLaughlin's song, Sweet Surrender, And I just ask people to kind of get a little bit relaxed, to quiet their body, their mind, their spirit, um, and just listen to the song as as it's being sung. And then the second time, everybody opens their eyes and they listen with the lyrics and they just kind of notice how the song is making them feel and then respond to the lyrics. So which of the lyrics are really standing out for them? and um how does how do those lyrics sort of relate to their life or what message can they get from that and then there's a time to share and through that sharing um the participants really start to understand like if i don't surrender i'm going to lose everything you know because i'm at the last line there is no place for me to return and it the song also has a a spiritual connection and so a lot of people can start thinking then about their higher power and how their higher power can sort of help in, in them in sort of letting go of their will. Um, and so then we have that whole big discussion. And then depending on the time, that might be followed by a music and imagery experience where uh, folks are asked to sort of imagine themselves walking away and, you know, walking and finding a place of serenity. And then if they can get that image, that image then is an image they can bring into their meditative or spiritual practice as a place to sort of calm their mind and body and, and spirit um, and continue to nurture themselves. So that might be one type of music experience that I might do. Um, for uh, stress management, um Again, I always look to the concepts of the, the big book of AA and NA. Um, Bill Wilson was a, a brilliant man as far as I'm concerned. And uh, so let's talk about the concept of letting go. When you can't let go, that can increase your stress because you're holding on to something. You're holding on to something very tightly. And... Um, that can, you know, increase physical tension, it can get your mind spinning crazy, obsessing over whatever, and it can really disrupt the connection that you might have with your higher power. So for letting go, sometimes um, <clears throat> I do um, songwriting uh, where we borrow the song Let It Be from the Beatles and uh, change a few of the words to make it relevant to recovery. And then I actually ask them to sort of use that framework and then write their own verse about things that they need to let go of. Um, And then we sing that. So now when you sing, singing is one of the best stress-reducing things that we can do. When you sing, you decrease the cortisol in your body, which is your body's stress hormone, you increase endorphin production. You increase the salivary IgA, which is the immune enzyme in your saliva. People who sing generally feel better. They feel empowered. They feel more confident. They feel less stressed. So singing is great. And when you work together as a team to write this verse, um, it, you're learning how to interact with folks in in a positive way. So it's not I'm not interacting with somebody because. I need to get something from them so I can get my drugs. I'm going to interact with them because we're going to talk about this shared experience of letting go and what's either getting in our way or why we need to, and we're going to work on this in a positive way. And then we're going to get up and sing this song for the group, so we're going to share our experience with
2: others. And we'll be right back after this commercial to learn more about the benefits of music therapy and treating addictions with Dr. Kathleen Murphy.
0: common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders that's westbridge.org family Center recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders
4: step into the doorway to conscious choice greater health and well-being attain the balance that you've been seeking
2: Welcome back, everyone. This is Mary Woods, and today we're talking about the benefits of mu- music therapy and treating addictions with Dr. Kathleen Murphy, who is the Director of Wellness and Complementary Therapies at Seabrook House in New Jersey. Um, I'm thinking that being able to do this kind of experiential work is great for people who um, learn best by um, doing as opposed to, to reading or listening. So I think that would be another benefit to the to this type of therapy as well.
3: Yeah, and I think it's it's also for for people I mean, in my experience it's also been people who have been sort of resistant to feeling their feelings. Um, I had a I went into a group a woman's group one day and this woman said to me, You're not gonna make us cry, are you? And I said, Well, it's you know, never my intention and by the end of the group all sixteen women were in tears. Um, And holding that space was an interesting experience because the music had just touched something really deep within um, that uh, before then, this particular group of women, most of them just had really not been willing to feel or able to feel or whatever. So it it is. It's good for people who (laughs) learn better by doing, I think, but also if there's a, a resistance to connecting with your feelings. I think that it's also very, very helpful.
2: You had mentioned how you use this um, for folks that are having difficulty with sleeping, be it from withdrawal or um, at Westbridge, what we know is that over 50% of people with major mental illness have a co occurring um, sleep disorder. So that, um, you know, we know that alcohol and other drugs affect the abilities, the brain's ability to sleep and, um, So, I'm really interested in how music therapy can help folks regulate their sleep cycle or whatever it does. Uh,
3: Music is a piece of uh, an overall sleep hygiene protocol. So, the first thing that we do is, again, as I had said earlier, sleep difficulties are a common symptom in withdrawal, regardless of the class of drugs. Now, some folks had trouble sleeping. And they started using substances to help them sleep, and that fueled their addiction. Um, And other people, when they leave, they can't sleep, and like their body, they just don't have enough patience to wait for their body to get their cycle back. And so then they pick up again, and they relapse. So sleep is just like a really huge, huge issue. So what we do here is when people have trouble sleeping, um, I get a referral from the medical team. And I meet with people and go over, you know, basic, basic sleep hygiene. So, and, and I tell people that, you know, you prepare for going to sleep from the moment that you wake up. And you do that by eating three healthy meals a day. You do that by making sure you get exercise, that you're done exercising within three hours of going to bed. You try to get outdoors because, uh, the sun produces vitamin D and vitamin D can help with sleep. Um, We talk about nicotine and how nicotine can really interfere with sleep. Even though you might think it's relaxing you, it's not going to help with your sleep. So to, you know, cut back on the nicotine and for sure try not to smoke at night. And so, you know, just some of those basic sleep hygiene principles that are good for everybody. When I talk to people about what gets in their way of sleep, the majority of people that that um, I work with have trouble turning off the racing thoughts. And so what I've experienced in my own personal work, um, working with a music therapist and, you know, using music uh, to deal with going to the dentist, which I hate, um, is that, you know, music can really refocus a person's attention and it can also help to relax the body. So um, So we talk about some things to do right before, like right when you're in bed. And one is is to do a gratitude list. And so write down or acknowledge the things that you did during the day that you're grateful for, but also the things that you did that were really positive, that you're really proud. So maybe it was like I was sober for another day, or I shared with the group, or I welcomed a new member. So that your last thoughts before you go to bed are positive, and those are the kinds of ones that you're sort of spinning on. And then uh, helping people to do some type of a progressive muscle relaxation because, again, to sleep you've got to quiet your body, your mind, and your spirit. So quieting your body, doing um, a progressive muscle relaxation. And I like to tell people just to gently stretch. So starting from your feet, your legs, you know, your arms, just gently stretching. Hold the stretch for a minute and let it go. Get really relaxed and get really comfortable so that you're, you're quieting your body. Um, then I ask people to begin to imagine themselves in a very peaceful place, um, some places they find very calming. Maybe it's by the sea. Maybe it's in the woods. Maybe it's a favorite room. Uh, whatever works for them. There are scripted um, sleep, uh, you know, CDs you can buy that are scripted, but the place that's scripted on the CD might not be the place that the person that I'm working with is going to find peaceful. Like if it tells you to go to the beach and you like the woods, that's not going to work. So again, I try to individualize everything as much as I can. Um, And then once I've done that, I ask them to sort of think of an affirmation to say each time they exhale, it could be like the word one, it could be the word peace, it could be serenity now. And then I have them turn on the music. Now, I have to say that the most effective music that I have found here has been um, a CD by Chuck Wild called Liquid Mind. It's Liquid Mind 8 and it's Sleep. And for 95% of the people that I've worked with here, that CD works. The characteristics of the music are such that it, it kind of promotes a very uh, restful kind of state. There's not a lot of harmonic changes. There's no recognizable melody. It has a very neutral affect, and it's just kind of a sound presence. It's like liquid sound almost.
2: Could you um, just tell us who the the CD and the man? Yeah, name? it's
3: Chuck Wild. Okay. And it's Liquid Mind Seven or Eight. Liquid Mind Eight, and it's called Sleep. And you can just Google Chuck Wild, and you'll go right to his website. Okay. I wouldn't have believed it because. Personally, I can't fall asleep to this particular music, Um, but 95% of the people that I work with here can, so that's what we use, and if that doesn't work, then I have a whole host of other CDs that people can can pick from, and we just kind of try to see whatever. The idea is you want to try to find music that you're not going to have any kind of emotional attachment to or that's not going to wake you up. Um, Right. You know, some people say, well, yeah, I always listen to the radio when I go to sleep, but I have a hard time sleeping. And well, that's because your brain is trying to pay attention to that music. It's a song, you know, or it's upbeat, or it's not relaxing your body or your mind. And so being in the peaceful place and saying your affirmation, especially if you choose to use something from a prayer, can help to quiet your spirit. And if you're focusing on your peaceful place and letting the music in, and just repeating that one word affirmation, then it's hard to think about how am I going to pay the bills? What am I going to do tomorrow? Why am I here? You know, your brain just can't pay attention to all of that. And so as people have trouble, what you need to learn how to do is how to, when those racing thoughts come in, kind of let them come in and go out and then bring your attention back either to the music or to your image. Um we also use chamomile tea as part of that protocol, so I tell people to have a cup of chamomile tea before they go to bed. And sometimes medical will prescribe some melatonin, which, so that's uh, sort of what we've come up with here at Seabrook House to help people sleep. And for the most part, it's been very, very effective.
2: How can people get in touch with you if they want to talk with you more about this or they have questions?
3: Uh, they can email me at uh, K Murphy at seabrookhouse.org. And the phone number is 856-455-7575, extension 1066.
2: Thank you so much for um, providing us with really great information on music therapy, which I really didn't know a lot about. And you're right, it is a good... Kept secret. So, um, thank you, Dr. Murphy, and um, you're welcome. Have a great week, everybody. Uh, next week is the 4th of July, so we will be um, doing an encore presentation. I hope you all have a very safe weekend.